You must remember this. Oh yeah. A kiss is just a kiss a sigh is just a sigh. Oh yeah. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. Oh yeah. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition podcast where we will go through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the greatest ugly ass alien soap opera <laughs> thing of 1994 at this point, or ugly alien Casablanca or yes. whatever. I don't know what this episode is. Uh, but anyways, as always, with me is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hey, gentlemen. And I'm Wade Bowen. And yes, we're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're talking about an episode called what? Profit and Loss um, originally aired <laughs> March 20th, 1994. This is uh, episode 18 of season two. The IMDb description is as follows. A Cardassian woman who was once a former flame of quartz, visits the station under dubious circumstances. <laughs> and that is, putting it lightly, um, I don't think anybody quite understands her circumstances from the minute she got there to the minute she left. <laughs> but we are going to talk about that. She's a teacher. She has students. And her students are terrorists because... Car- or maybe the Fidel Castro and Che Guevara of Cardassia. Yeah, she travels to Deep Space Nine with them in the... In the trunk of her car. Right, right. Well, except that the Castros and Che Guevara were kind of armed uprisings, where these their whole point is that they want to take Cardassia out of military hands, but hey, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves because... But wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that they didn't... They, they were called terrorists, so I assume they bombed, bombed shit. Did they not bomb no, shit? No, I don't think so. Their whole... So that, what did they you, do? Like pamphleteer? This whole thing was over like pamphleteers and they're speech da- givers? They're, yes, they're... Because ter- they're, Cardassians don't care about what your methods are. They're The Cardassian military controls Cardassia. These are students go, arguing for a democratically elected free Cardassia. And that's enough for Cardassia to label them terrorists. It's because Cardassians don't care about what yeah, you do. You know, they just care about power. It's a hard state. Yeah. And they're arguing for, they're people, they're the good people arguing for non-military role. And that's enough for the military to say, let's take these guys out. Okay. They're, they're like, at most, they're like Tiananmen Square. I guess I thought that, and I don't know, this is. Okay, right. that was never, that was never made clear. Now. No, it wasn't. They're too big of wimps to be actually military. Well, people. but the one thing I was projecting on. Is that I'm going by the in that one scene, which was the well written scene of the episode between Garrick and Quark, that Garrick, well, he doesn't say that he thinks they're too radical. He thinks the lady's dress she may like is too radical, but it, in subtext, that that he finds their methods too rad, like he does. Oh, he doesn't care anything about their methods. And one I'm reading in the context Garrick. of the scene with the, we'll get to that. But uh, you're he right. He says that it falls they're, out they're, of yeah, fashion. Yeah, it's fashionable now, but if you you know when things fall out of fashion, that's when things get messy. Right. And so, so, so it's not that he personally disagrees with it. He just thinks that it's going nowhere. Yeah, it's radical because it's such a big change from the what the status quo is. Yeah. Not because they're violent. I guess you're 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 inferring an awful lot. I'll tell you why I infer it, but okay, I guess I better get it out of the way. I actually like this episode, so I actually liked it quite a bit. Quite a bit. You've you've commented before that Quark is like the George Clooney of Ferengis. <laughs> yes, yes. And in this. <laughs> And in this episode, we get to see that. And he's a pretty charismatic... Say what you will about 
Natima. Natima. Yeah. Bing, Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby's daughter. Oh, okay. Is she related to Denise Crosby? Yes, she's Denise Crosby's aunt. Okay, that's what I thought. She when I saw the Crosby, I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. But anyways, say what you will. About she also her killed Jr. Performance in, uh, in Dallas. Dallas? Yeah, or yeah. shot Jr. I don't know. Maybe it's dating myself. When I was a kid, there was the who shot Jr. Yes, it was her. It was uh, Natima Lang. Yes, Natima Lang. Okay. But anyway, say what you will about her uh-huh. in this. Quark does a great. Armin Shermanman, I think, is great in this episode. You're right. He's fine. But through the entire episode, all the way to the end, there's no like subterfuge. There's no like arc. Quark just <laughs> is an unrepentant good guy. From like scene one, not necessarily. I don't think he's un. Well, he's not in. He's willing he's a to good sacrifice guy. everything that he's ever like fought tooth and nail for because of this like bowl of oatmeal. She's completely. Yeah. She's like a non-character. <laughs> she. He, he, I, all that's right. The, all right. Let's let's just let's just start right. at the beginning. The beginning. Then, okay. I feel like we have a lot. So I mean, it just starts off with a Garrick and um, Bashir at Quarks for some reason. The lovers. Yeah, the lovers. The, the true lovers. lovers of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Talking about talk about chemistry. <laughs> right. Uh, and then they're talking about loyalty, and and Garrick's finishing the story about some guy named Yuri who chose the state over his own brother and Bashir's aghast. Mm. You would choose uh, the state over yourself and then you have to be true to, true to your family and their loved ones. He says yeah. that, he, you know, bef- yeah, before you're true to your whatever, you need to be true to yourself. Mis- and then Garrick says that's misguided words. Who thought up that dumb bullshit? Yeah, and establish that Garrick is a statist. That he is a preserver of the fatherland. So he's still bought into some level of fidelity yeah. and dedication. Yeah, if, to if the, the Cardassians are nation state. defined by so, any, their one biggest cultural state is that they're loyal to Cardassia. They have different meanings of what that loyalty, ideas of what that yeah. loyalty might mean. But, and then Garrick is kind of pointing out here that he as well is loyal to Cardassia, but what that means for him is also a mystery. Yeah, the Garrick stuff is great in this episode. I love Garrick. I mean, I, I think the wheels fall off it a little bit at the end. I had to watch this episode twice because after watching it the first time, I thought that I missed a bunch of stuff, and I didn't miss a lot of stuff. I was paying. I was no. fine. They just they just were murky about a lot of people's motivations. And why things yeah. were happening. At one point, we almost get the 223rd <laughs> rule of acquisition, but then something happens. I think, <laughs> I guess the Cardassians show up. Uh, there's a ship that yeah. comes in, damaged its Cardassians. Uh, Cisco tells them, okay, you'll be safe. Just stay on the promenade, and the, maybe the Bajorans won't kill you. They go to Quark's, and Quark sees Natima Lang and, and goes crazy, goes up. I mean, he's so happy. She comes up. He says something to her. She slaps him in the face. I guess Odo says, are you all right? Or maybe Bashir. He's like, that woman clearly hates you. And he's like, no, what are you talking about? This is the best moment of my life, which also sets up... Quirk, when somebody slaps him or tells him he's an asshole or a piece of shit, like Kira always does, he doesn't take that as a front or anything. He, he, I mean, which could be problematic. He doesn't take no for an answer. Well, but it's, I find it endearing that he's like, yes, I'm slimy, but I love, yeah, yeah. I don't think it gets rapey, but I think yeah, that exactly. it, yeah, he's dogged. I mean, that's, yes. not, it's not always yeah. the same thing, but, um, okay. So this starts off that there were some sort of former lovers back during the Cardassian. And let me interject that she was a journalist at the time. She was not any sort of teacher or professor. Mm-hmm. She worked for she worked as a reporter for the Information Ministry of yeah. Cardassia. Right. And at right. no point did they try to 
color in any darker shades into the future paths of their romance. Nope. This was like goofballs love. This was they went on picnics, which is the only thing the show comes up with for pick for what they want to try. Um, <laughs> like for what lovers do is lovers go on picnics. They have honey and butterflies. And they make and they drink cocktails, exotic alien cocktails. Red um, Rhizium picnic or something. Yeah. They have a pure love. Wasn't based off of some sort of manipulation. She wasn't fucking him for to get sources for stories. He wasn't fucking her out of any... I mean, like, he legitimately loved her, which is strange. It, which is strange. If anything, yeah, I would concede that maybe that's uh, the why, how and why he fell in love with her is not maybe the most fleshed out. But Armin Shimmerman, for me, sells it so well, I don't really care. I, I can't get... No, I can't get over it. It's so... The way because, that they did, like within Rules of Acquisition with Pell falling in love with him, I thought was dumb bullshit, and that they should have had a more combative, like uh, profit centered. Oh, I'm gonna courtship. ride or die on that. I think that was better than this from a no, pure love oh perspective. My God. Not wow. the episode, Crazy? not that. Wait, hold on, not but, the episode, but the love the, interest was more different because that she was chased and that she's a Ferengi. Not only did she like him because he's the George Clooney of Ferengi. But she admired his lobes. She she put in respect to all that stuff. There is like none of that here. Everything well, yeah. that Quark had done, there's no way that a Cardassian woman would have wanted to fuck that guy. Well, and there's my, no well, see, reason that he would carry a torch that's over right. the ages. Right. He says I, that he would give up the bar, he would give up everything to run away and be like fucking fugitives with her. There is no Quark in that at all. The reason the Pell thing doesn't work for me isn't because Quark's side isn't believable. It's because the Pell side is bullshit that she gives up herself for him immediately and says, oh, I'll just be a woman if I can just be with Quark instead yeah, of being like, I, I oh, we're going to fight over profit. But the Whereas Quark character isn't confident. The Tima Lang, when there was Tima in this one, at least has something she stands for that she's not willing to well, give up. Well, wait a she's minute. She's a stronger what, character. What exactly is, what is she just? A free Cardassia. Her, whatever that means. Yeah, it makes sense that you. I guess maybe a free Cardassia. How about just like having these kids around the, that are the future somehow? It's like whatever she's all about is not clear throughout this whole a thing. A free and democratic Cardassia. They talk about that over and over again. That's like the line. But how she is at she going to facilitate that by having these? She's a philosopher that gets exiled. There happens all the time in all these places, all these big South American philosophers or whatever, where they've got a military dictatorship mm -hmm. or China that get, you know, exiled. They're arguing for a government not run by the military or the communists or whoever. I understand that in real are. life, mm -hmm. but they didn't make a very good analog for that in Deep Space Nine because they weren't clear about that. It just, it was, it was very murky and it was, it was something that could be, summed up in a few lines but instead we See, had I, we had to bring to the table a certain political vocabulary to understand and not only that but i mean it let's we should just say it is it, it was written intentionally as a hard homage to yeah, casablanca yeah. and so i think that you're supposed supposed to draw parallels with these two students to the husband of ingrid bergman which I don't remember. Was he in the French resistance yeah, or something? So. And he was important to the resistance, just like these two kids are important to the to something. See, this is where I disagree with you, that this stuff has been set up in Cardassian society because we've already set up that there's a power struggle between the Cardassian military and the civilian Cardassians. Yes. These people are civilian dissidents who are trying to get the world, they're politically, they're 
fashionable as we have this scene later on with Garrick and Quirk in the tailor shop where they're talking in metaphors about what's fashionable and if mm-hmm. fat things go out of fashion and if not, your clothes might get ripped. I I might kill this person. You need to choose better fashions or longer lasting or whatever. They're civilians. They're not military. They're If they get their way, Cardassia is a free and democratic society run by civilians and not the military. That's as easy as all you need to make okay. it. Okay, but but one of the things he was saying that in, in Casablanca at the end, he's got to get this guy to the Americans in theory because he will then help the Allied invasion of Normandy. I mean, that's what the movie's about. Sure, but this is it. Is that he's going to practically help. These aren't like, they're just trying to get away. It's like, it's like if, so you, like, if you had the Dalai Lama mm-hmm. and China is like, we have, hey, give us the Dalai Lama, give us these Tibetan monks so that we can kill them. Uh, we've already had that figure, though. In the guy, in the prison break, in the prison break, where the guy who shot the naked Cardassian and got all the... Right, right, right. We've already had... But that was different. That was a, that was a war hero. That was a Bajoran. I understood one. what he meant to his people. They did a very good job of, of making that clear. These are just two dumbass kids that who follow their teacher around. I understand that, but they didn't do... I had to watch the episode twice to... They really just kind of piece together what they were trying to do. It wasn't concise and clear, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm going to side with Hugh on this just because I don't necessarily know where they go from here. I would agree that they could have fleshed some of this yeah, stuff out. That's more, all I'm but saying. I agree that there was a... Because it would have been made, it would have made, it would have made perfect sense if they had requested asylum oh in Bajor. Yeah, that, that would have been a sticky wicket. How about that? Like, if that... Yeah. That would have been a sticky wicket, but that would have been something that could have been established. Because Bajor, Bajor would have an interest, and in, they want to think they don't want to antagonize the Cardassians further, but they have a vested interest in subverting right. military well, rule in Cardassia. Okay, one that, is one that would have just screwed That's up the whole story here. Sort of Bajorans, they you could you can make the, Bajorans hate Cardassians enough; they're not going to give. They you know arguably might not give refugee status but you're right that would have been the smart play for them to do and that just came to me, yeah so no, I yeah, don't know. I mean, that would have been, yeah. been a thing i'll give you that but as far as the story that for this episode it didn't bother me them being non-military dissidents was enough for me just because i know that cardassian society is a structure you could go into the minutiae of why exactly what they did and everything but at the end of the day, for me, for the story structure of this episode, I didn't need that. They were like MacGuffins. You, you know, something to chase around the station sure. and keep safe. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what they were treated more like that than characters with like an arc. I guess that's kind of what bothered me. Yeah, that's fa- that's a fair. I, that's what I was trying to. That's but, that's my whole thing. Yeah. Is that you're right about everything they are and what they're doing, but you're. It's not explicitly clear i guess especially it gets really murky when they classify them as terrorists and when we're the characters are pressed as to why they're considered terrorists they're just like because they're terrorists you know it's like well because it's the same way that we label cardassians aren't don't worry about the actual guilt or innocence about something you know cardassian legal system is not let's find out why these people are guilty. You're considered guilty until proven innocent. I think maybe one of the things that Hugh is saying (laughs) is that this isn't a minor detail. We spend whole seasons with the inner politics of the Cardassians. And I think a lot of this is played off screen in breadcrumbs and in asides that you're supposed to sort of pick up and, and include. And I think that if this was another race, if this were what are they Breens, the yeah, ones which in the, haven't, the which haven't been introduced yet. masks, yeah, we haven't gotten to them yet. 
But if Breen's were like, we wouldn't give a shit, right? You know that but they're political, but I, we don't care. But we, but we have enough vested interest in the Cardassians that it would be neat, and especially since Garrick's place in this. I think I don't think it's. I think we've already discussed <laughs> what what their issue is. Again, it's they're MacGuffins essentially. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, that's true. And that's an, another thing I was going to argue about, the, say about this episode, season two so far. If season one was setting up a Deep Space Nine as a western, season two they've switched over in some ways to noir, yeah, with necessary evil. Yeah. And now this episode being a Casablanca uh, homage, they're yeah. like, well, let's do noir now. And so, yeah, it's a MacGuffin, but who cares exactly? The fact that they're not military and they're political enemies of the state I guess is enough. The reason why I guess my problem with you with you saying who cares that it's serviceable is because we're dealing with number one, a character that is almost more interesting than every reoccurring character on the show, Garrick, and it deals deeply with him and his connection to his homeworld. And two, it deals with uh, politics of the bad the main bad guy for the the whole series. Mm-hmm. So it's not something we could just not it's you know it's something worth examining. You mean you mean Dakar no, or the Cardassians? And this car this is also a contrast to the the episode of the called the Cardassians that we watched a few episodes back, where it deals with the same sort of intense inner politics offstage sort of stuff of the Cardassians right. and setting that up. That's what but I'm saying. It it's it already in a been much set more up. concrete. You're right, but I, I don't want to spend half an hour of the podcast talking about this, which is the least interesting <laughs> okay, part of the episode. One more point, and then I'm out. <laughs> Okay. If this was if this was not about Cardassia, if this was ex- if Quark fell in love with some other lady from the from the Alpha Quadrant, and they were political, they're seeking political asylum, and they're considered terrorists, they were all the same thing. It could still work. We wouldn't feel like we have that itch that we need to scratch. But because it's about Cardassia, things get kind of murky. Yes, but what would you want them to do? differently i mean well, it could be we'll get, the exact same thing but just be from a different planet yeah but cardassians are so much more interesting because because just, of all the stuff that you mentioned that they were murky on no because of garrick and garrick is murky about exactly. everything exactly and so you don't have exactly. to explain everything behind why garrick would do something it's a good well, thing to should set we up. switch gears into the garrick stuff i think this, that's a pretty good segue yeah yeah he was at the replimat to see it and uh quark says to him you're never here, usually at the replimat. And it's like, oh, did he know that there might be Cardassians showing up? Who knows? Garrett's got a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. No, I think that the show, in, that that was a surprise well, to him. It was, but... He would have, he immediately spilled the beans Yeah, off, but so. Odo does also say to him, or Odo or Quark, one of them, says, hey, how come you're here instead of the replimat? So, like, he maybe does know that something was going on. I thought he was with Bashir. He was, yeah, but who knows if he decided, because he found an excuse to go to Quark's, but okay. he doesn't do anything by just whim. He's got, he's always running. He's he's the spider. Sure. I mean, you never know. So I'm, I mean, that's sort of the, the beauty of it. Yeah. Right. But they do put it in there that mm-hmm. maybe it, that's that's something they tease. I mean, he definitely knew who they were once he saw it. That yeah. wasn't like a mystery to him. And I think right. we should lay out spoilers a little bit. But I mean, like they sort of lay out his whole storyline in a in an aside with with Bashir in the beginning scene where he's like, are you a spy? He goes, maybe I'm a, or or he goes, are you an exile? He goes, maybe I'm an exiled spy. And they sort of throw it off. Like what, what, what would that be? I think is what Bashir says. And yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. That's his, that's his story. Spoilers. (laughs) Well, that's not, that, but that's also, 
explicitly said later on in the episode. Yeah, that he's an exile. Right. That the work with the CIA We, stuff we all know he's yeah, a is, is the, He openly negotiates. They allow him to openly negotiate the exchange with uh, Cisco, which we get some good, like, sort of Cisco leadership scenes in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. he, he openly negotiates for their return to Cardassia. So I'm just a simple tailor. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I enjoy that you did this because you just, just tipped your hand because I know we you're not fooling anybody that you're just a simple tailor. Yeah. And now we know for sure because you've, you're you're making sure, deals on yeah. behalf of Cardassia. And then, and, and then Cisco yeah. turns down the, the deal to trade the man. Right. Well, Cisco's taught, we have a nice where he's tossing his baseball around and he turns to, like, if you do anything to attack the station, I will respond in kind. Yeah, it's it is. A, Cisco moment. And then uh, they go behind yeah. Cisco's, uh, then Garrett goes behind Cisco's back and negotiates straight with the Bajoran provisional government. And then they're going to do right. a prisoner exchange, which I thought they had already, I mean, I guess, are <laughs> there wasn't. actual... Are there still open political prisoners from Bajor in Cardassia? I mean, it seems like that sort of was cleaned up like earlier this season. You're right. That was like, I guess if five bars of gold press latinum is the, what anytime you need to make a deal with a Ferengi, uh-huh. you just offer them five bars and that's going to be their price. If you're dealing with the Bajorans and your Cardassian, the same price is always release these prisoners. Secret Bajoran prisoners. Like, <laughs> right. Which are, are completely dropped by the end of this episode. <laughs> everybody's like, fuck these Bajoran prisoners. Somewhere there's an opposite episode going at the same time about those prisoners. <laughs> those prisoners are told, you're about to get released. <laughs> just like, we're getting out, we're getting <laughs> yeah. out, man. And there are scenes where Kira's losing <laughs> her mind over it. I just, there's a whole scene of just them in their cells, like, we're getting out, we're getting out. We're not getting out. Yeah, this is a startlingly uh, Kira-less uh, episode. Yeah, she didn't get, so many Cardassians are on, on the station, and she didn't get up in anybody's face about it, <laughs> or the Cardassians' face once. Yeah, like, the the Cardassians stormed the bridge twice in this episode. That's right. Yeah, not with guns drawn or anything, but so yeah. You would think that'd get her dander up a little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit. She's, like, on high alert for the rest of her life when it comes to those guys. Right. Well, she has had a change of heart with Maritza, and That's true. and so she probably, I mean, it's obviously at least going to be on the side of these dissidents, yeah. but but you're right, she doesn't show up much in this episode. And that's fine, they want to keep it clean. We have a lot of smooching with Quark to get to. So, oh my god. Yeah, that's that's what I want to talk about. That's what I liked about this episode. Maloney. I think you're t- completely alone. <laughs> I, I love it, You just love man. seeing two people under heavy makeup. Like awkwardly try to <laughs> exactly. not sweat to death as a kiss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, while you brought it up, they actually did. It took twice as not twice as long. It took days longer to film this episode because whenever they would film the kiss, their <laughs> makeups would muddle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was. Like it would give you an idea silver. of what uh, Ferengi Kardashian children would well, look yeah, like. Well, yeah, the, the the silver and the brown, the bronze makeup and the silver makeup would mix on both of their faces, and so they would have to go through a complete, um, a near complete makeup overhaul each time they kiss. Mm, I did wonder about and that. Cardassians, now that we have a Cardassian woman who likes to wear low cut dresses, they have some intricate like boning. Yes, like all chests. <laughs> oh yeah, the boning is very interesting yes. between Ferengian. Cardassian boning. That's what I liked about this episode. All the boning. They don't just have spoon foreheads. They have spoon cleavage and and tons yep. of like ridging ridging around the breasts area. So it, it's all very strange. Yeah, you have to like. I think he's right. There is an element where we sometimes talk about this. If we're going to like, if I was going to sit down with my father and he knows I do a podcast and he's going to watch this episode with me because I got to watch it and he's in 
he's a, he's visiting. The idea of um, a short man with pointy teeth, with goofy ear, latex ears, and bronze face, kissing a woman with all this shit on her face and painted silver, or whatever color Cardassians are, fish belly. Like, I think that that all would, it's all so goofy. The goofy alien. Yeah, that's what I liked about this. Like, oh yeah, if they were two humans, it would be weirder. But it's like, I'm okay. I like to see weird aliens. Like, No, it's it's full know, sci-fi. They go for it. If it were a human in a Ferengi, you wouldn't be able to believe that she'd ever be attracted to him. But she's pretty ugly and who knows what aliens find hot. But why she's attracted to him, I just, I just, I just chipped that off too. One, he's a charming motherfucker. And two, she's an alien that. <laughs> can find why he's physically attractive who cares that's not important because yeah he has he's gotten his hands illegally on a cloaking device Mm -hmm. yeah let me pause this for angry nerd corner here go ahead the cloaking device and the need for a cloaking device is some of the most episodes of star trek or dealt with this from like the admirality (laughs) to the captains to everything to to understand that to gain cloaking technology is such a big ordeal on this show and even next season, when the Defiant becomes an element of the show, how much negotiations they had to do to get a cloaking element onto the Defiant is, is showed, in de- not in detail in the show, but just went into as a laborious thing. That Quark can just get one, perchance, yeah. seems sort of strange. And then, like, them sort of toss it off. Like We know you have one, well, okay. but yeah, we're not going like, to look into like, it. Why much. didn't Odo and Cisco <laughs> and O'Brien go there and put the screws to him and get one and then replicate it? So then maybe if you ever have to fight the Romulans, no. you are no, fighting think, on even ground. The technology no, is readily that, available to anybody who wants it. It's the, uh, Whether or not it's ethical, I think that's that's their, yeah. no, their hang-up. That's, that's, that's not... What keeps that, the feder- it's the Federation is a thing, but it's also, at this point, it's also partly the ethics. Okay. They've agreed not to do to it. To tip the hands, they they needed the Romulans to install the cloaking device on the Defiant. They're dealing with it like it's a minor thing. And it's not. No, it was a very big thing. It was such a big thing to me that at the time I thought to myself, is Odo bad at his job? <laughs> because is because he is otherwise a super competent investigator, yet here he's got somebody who is constantly around him and undermining and like getting away with stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, is Odo really not that good, or is Quark really his equal? And that's why they struggle. And I guess the answer is that Quark is really his equal, his equal opposite. That for as competent as Odo is an investigator, Quark is equally competent as a scoundrel yeah yeah i think if if he's not then that just ruins their whole foil relationship yeah yeah and i i think that's where i ended up on it but this one was really uneven on the <laughs> on the quirk side like that's way above his pay grade to be able to just land a, a, a cloaking device like yeah. right you you are right it is uh, it's one that only works for 15 minutes so. yes yeah that's that, that is true that is true I mean, it's not a full Romulan cloaking device, but since the original series, that element has been treated with such, and the, the Klingon cloaking devices have been treated with such yeah. reverence in the show that to have one just flippantly tossing about seemed you are goofy right. to that, me. Like, it seemed like not dealing yeah, with it. That's, that's a fair complaint, even maybe beyond Angry Nerd Corner. Just Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, okay. Out of that, then he is willing to give the kids, but not... Uh, Bing Crosby's daughter, the cloaking device. That's where you get into my argument that he's not quite a completely good guy. Yes. Because he's like, if we're going to be all objectivists and Ferengi about this, like, he's just putting his 
happiness over val- that's what he's valuing and he's willing to do anything for that but he's also willing to uh make a deal because it'll be i'll be happiest if you're here with me therefore i'm going to force you to stay here with me and take the kids back but also from like a kind of gross and randy and like yeah, I'm going to force you to be here with me, but also you want it. Like I think you're seeing objectivism here where I think it was like all of his actions were pure, like pretty altruistic. And I think that that was what was probably foundationally like off-putting to me in the whole episode because I just didn't understand Quark in this episode. Well, you know, it's all about love, man. And then at, at Quark, for all his like greed and everything, when you get down to it, He's actually at heart, and that it'd be the worst thing to tell him, and he would hate you for it. But at heart, he's a good guy. But that is, that's fine. But that is, he's not also, he's not Han Solo, where he's been overcome and now he's fully a good guy. No, no, no. He's still in a, he's still a scoundrel. And I think casting him in the Humphrey Bogart role from Casablanca just seems out of character to the point where it's a bridge too far for him. And I like seeing Armin Shimmerman do unique stuff. So it's not the kissing, it's not the that kind of stuff. It was just that at the end of the day, he's a pretty gullible character. I mean, not gullible, but he's he's doing a lot for his girlfriend. And and to the point where... Yeah, he seems sort of guileless when he normally mm-hmm. doesn't. Right, but he never completely loses his guile. Arguably, he's a little bit of a pushover for her. And that at the end, maybe even more... When did she get uh, to the Going end? back to the kissing. Yeah. You know, the way that... Apparently, the way that Ferengis have their ears is an erogenous zone. Yeah. Uh, do you notice how Quark kind of like those like Cardassian neck oh, ridges? He He's like, that's like an erogenous zone for Cardassian <laughs> women, apparently. <laughs> I, that's a great, I, it's probably an acting choice. I don't know if I was he was told, hey, do that, or if Armin Shimmerman was like, I'm going to be all sexy with your ridges and stuff. But yeah, that's a t- it's a nice touch. I'll, I'll give you that. It was a, it, it's a <laughs> yeah. sweet touch. Now it's weird. It's a, it was, I gotta say it was like a little, it was a little too weird, but I'm, I'm, I, maybe I'm my tolerance isn't as, but like, it was just like, what am I looking at here? He's got those goofy teeth. I don't understand what she sees in him. I don't understand why she would have ever fallen in love with him. The motivations weren't fleshed yeah, out. And at first I was like, ooh, he's ugly and gross. Why would anyone ever want to follow? But then it's like, you know what? He's a suave motherfucker. He's being charming here. And also she's an alien, so maybe he's just not as physically repulsive there. Well, their storyline wasn't that she fell, she fell to his wiles one time. They were like a couple for like a long time. Right. Well, he does say something like he helped her out and then they fell in love. And then him being Quark, he was just a shitty guy. He saw an opportunity to steal from the Cardassian communications division or whatever. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, of course he's going to steal because they got enough money that I can siphon a little bit off the top. But then she got in trouble or he, he had to steal from her to do it. And then she put that pissed her. Quark being Quark is what ended their relationship. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I could see that. Can we can we get into the Mexican standoff scene at the end? Is that what that is? is that what that was supposed to be? Okay, yeah. so yeah, let's talk about what did the the standoff scene? This Tarand, who apparently is an old enemy of Garrett, mm-hmm. who if you kill these Bajorans, will get you out of exile. Yeah, he comes back with like a different deal, you know, where Garrick has been sort of working above board with the Cardassian Central Command, which I think is the first time they use that term. Yeah. So he's dealing more above board with this guy Tarak. 
Is that what we said his name was? Turan. Turan. Gull Turan. Gull Turan. Like, oh, they made you a gull. Yeah, and that was like a thing. I guess that Garrick hates this guy. Yeah. That he's coming with a yeah. gun. And then, but even in the Gull Turan scene, before with, when he says, you have to kill this guy and uh, vo- my voice is less mm-hmm. tarnished, Garrick gives this like sly little smile to the camera almost, which you're like, where the hell is, is he going yeah, to no, turn Yeah, no, he clearly guy? was just that but he was, I like that. you know, you keep yeah. the idea that he's going to make another play, but that he's got to kill the people on the ship. And if he kills them, then he gets the... His mm-hmm. exile is revoked and he gets to go back to Cardassia, which we've thoroughly established at this point that he still has a fidelity to, to Cardassia. Quark and the, the everybody's going to the ship where Quark is already installed. The cloaking device so they can get away without minute cloaking device, being caught yeah. by the Federation or Bajoran governments. They open the lock and then Garrick's there holding very fancy Cardassian phaser. He's got one pointed at Quark. Tehran comes in and then has a drop on Garrick and he lets Garrick know that he has no intention of giving Garrick clearance back to go to Cardassia and then Garrick makes the choice puts out a second phaser yeah. am I right? You never see him whip it out he just kills the yeah. guy and it's like what? Where'd that come yeah, from? Yeah he's got a second phaser on him and he kills Tehran and lets everybody go away because he says that's what's best for Cardassia has come to that conclusion. Right. Or maybe he always had that conclusion and you just don't know. Right. Yeah, that so. was pretty that was a pretty muddled little scene where I felt like Garrick like we don't ever get a picture of what Garrick's going through and I don't know, I thought it was like surprise for surprise sake. Like he could have easily Yeah, I did find that a little bit yeah. muddled. Like, what does Garrick end. think? Does does Garrick think that these kids, these this underground uprising is good for Cardassia? They're just a student. Or did he just think, I hated I hated that guy, and so fuck I think that, that he I hated that guy. It was like professional. Like, he wasn't, He I guess he found, he realized that he wasn't going to get reinstated for turning mm-hmm. these kids in. Yeah. And he hates this asshole from his old work, yeah. you know? And, you know, <laughs> fuck, you know, fuck him. Yeah. And he distinctly, he didn't like that there was something, because he says... Some people just shouldn't be promoted. Yeah, and he, he there is something about that if Car- if the Central Command is going down this avenue of making that asshole goal, like right. if they're going to make Donald Trump president, then they're not going to you know like you're not going to like <laughs> there's no right, point. Right. And so like I like fuck that guy, and I'm going to subvert a military command that would promote that guy. Well, it happened is at the what? end of Casablanca too. You have the the guy who says, "I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship." At the end, because he's the cop, the local cop who lets Ingrid Bergman's husband get away. Okay, Sim- yeah. there's, there's some symmetry yeah. there, like a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Like I think I personally like to think that Garrick does probably would want like a freer Cardassia at the end of the day. Yeah, but it's not really clear for me anyway. It was a little muddled at the end of this. Like what. What Garrick's play was, which is actually great for Garrick's character in some ways, but it felt like it just wasn't clear in the writing. Like nobody had made a decision even to make that what Garrick was doing. Yeah, because we don't know if what was deliberate and what was did he shoot him on accident? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Did he always did he always intend on this guy? Did he always know this guy was going to show up and that he'd kill him with this extra phaser that he hid in his butt or wherever it was? Right. The butt phaser. Yeah, somewhere in that Jack Kirby costume. I think, he's that, got. I think that the idea of Garrick as a no, uh, as a always has the drop, always knows the way the the the, the, the pieces are going to fall. Right. I think that maybe we're projecting that from later seasons. No, I that, still. Garrick is a I think bigger of now. a badass, a bigger of a badass later on in the show than he is in this I, episode. I disagree. I think that Varric. You think I, that they thought that they knew he was a badass? Yes, I think. I think the the idea that Garrick is always 
two steps ahead of everybody and has the plays already thought out. I think that's already insinuated here. Even going back to my comment before about you're never at the rep, you're always at the replimat, you're never at the bar. Why did you pick today? I feel like that's already setting up that Garrick is possibly pulling strings that you don't know about. I think that about. Garrick is shown to be resourceful because he negotiates this thing with Bajor after Cisco shut him down. I think that Garrick is shown to be cunning in the episode by bringing a second phaser. Like that, that seems like that's smart and cunning. And even, and going back to what I mentioned before, right before the, after the Garrick Turan scene, then they go to commercial break and then Turan thinks that he's uh, just chided him and got the upper hand and he walks out. Andrew Robertson gives a sly half smile to the camera, also letting you know that maybe he knows exactly what he's doing with Turan. So I definitely think that Garrick is already set up as a guy that's one step ahead of everybody. But it is a little bit muddled in that last scene, I felt like, that whether or not he knew that Turan was going to show up or not and was he set to kill him. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean, yeah. But so that is that was muddled, but everything else in this episode, I do think, is setting up the whole idea of Garrick as being a guy that's always one step behind. Probably, him. I would agree with that. Yeah. All told, I think that it was a pretty. The pieces were all there, and I don't think they like fucked up or bungled anything. Right. Other than that central, I just didn't buy the love story <laughs> at the centerpiece of it, and so it was, and it bothered me. It just makes not the the pieces don't fit right, you know. Yeah. And so it kept me from, like, perfectly liking the the episode. It's a good episode. It's better than, fuck, I don't know. It's better than Second Sight or... Wade, do you have anything that you would even change on this episode? Yeah, like, for I think that it was a little bit muddled at the end whether or not Garrick knew that Turan was going to show up. I would have made it clearer. So Turan shows up and it's, is it a surprise for Garrick or is it not? And then also these Cardassian dissidents... When he's got the phaser pointed at him, they're like, oh, you asshole. And then they're like, Corky set us up. He's like, no. And then so they're scared of Garrick. And then Garrick kills the guy. And then there's no like, oh, are you still going to kill us? They're like, oh, thank you. And Garrick, you're our best friend now. It's like, wait a minute. That doesn't if <laughs> if Garrick sets up that, oh, I knew Toran was going to show up all the time. And then I set up to do this to kill him. Then it makes sense where they're like, oh, thank you for doing us this favor. But the way it's muddled at the end, you're not sure whether or not Garrick set up Turan showing up. And if he didn't set up showing them Turan showing up and he just killed them because of circumstances and that's how the dice rolled and they got lucky, then they shouldn't be that like Mm -hmm. buddy buddy with Garrick at the end. They should be like, whoa, um, we're going to go now. Thanks. Bye. So that's that's the basically that's all I really had to change. And then our, you know, yeah. Natima, she's not doing the best acting here. She's <laughs> fine enough. Quirk is so charismatic that I buy enough his love story that he loved Natima and he's willing to do all these things for her and the, his little bit of roguish self-interest and getting what he wants and just how charismatic he is is enough for me to sell the love story. But if she were a better actor or if they explained how she fell in love with him a little bit more that would have helped flesh things out because i might be just willing to buy it because of how much of the acting and everything and i want to like this episode where maybe maybe y'all are right and it's a little bit of my own really wanting to like this episode and it maybe it doesn't work as well as i think it does so that's that's what i would change uh- yeah, real quick, I think the one thing that always irritates me on these episodes is that we don't even have much use for the rest of the Star Trek crew. And I oh, think yeah. that that problem could could have fixed another problem, which is Quirk definitely acted differently when the Cardassian Ingrid Bergman shows up on the station. And that could have, our, our anxiety about his changed behavior that you, you know, you were watching somebody actually 
act out of character could have been reflected in Dax or Kira or O'Brien or all three could have expressed some sort of, you know, acknowledgement in the change of his behavior. And you don't need much. I mean, you could just have one scene or two scenes where it's commented on. So you can see that through the eyes of the people who see him every day, Quark is going on a journey. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would have been good. That's it. What I would have, how I would have done it, because my thing is, is that I think that have it mirror more like, do you remember the in the scenes between Quark and Vash and Culus? Mm-hmm. Like if it was more of a, the chemistry, or are you talking about, are you talking about chemistry? I'm, t- I'm talking a little bit about chemistry. I'm talking about chemistry that fits into a pre-existing character that we know. And I think that, like, if she was a little bit more of a rapscallion, Bing Crosby's daughter was a little bit more of, like, a rapscallion and a little bit, like, more duplicitous, like, I think I would buy it. Like, because I believe that Quark can, like, just get possessed by a woman Mm -hmm. and just want to be with her and then ultimately starts throwing off all of his goals after a while. But if she could have, like, met Quark on the field of acquisition battle... In some capacity, if she was if she was always negotiating instead of just being yeah, yeah. demure and uninterested, because she's nothing but a goody goody. She's she has no vices or anything. I mean, I guess she used to drink yes, some Marian yes. sunsets. She doesn't do that anymore. It no, she's 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 literally Ingrid Bergman. That was character. that was a great line. She was like, yeah. The, the great line is that she she goes, I don't drink those anymore. They remind me of you. And he goes, Well, I'm in front of you right now, so you might as well drink it. That was Armin Shimmerman. That was that was the writing working with Armin Shimmerman's performance. Yeah. Armin Shimmerman is great. I'm not here to shit on Armin Shimmerman, but he's trying to like he's trying to manipulate her. But if this was all like a game, mm-hmm. or there was an element of it that was a game to where you could understand what both of them were getting out of the, the romance. But a, as it was, I don't understand what this woman saw in this man because they gave her no character that would have been attracted to him. Like, at least Vash comes onto the ship. She's like a cheating scoundrel. Yeah. Like, he's a cheating scoundrel. Game recognizes game there. And that is an element of chemistry and an element of romance. Yeah. This had none of that because she's she's a she's a liberal freedom fighter. And he's like a duplicitous con man. Yeah. And even Pell has qualities that you would see what, that he would be attracted to. They kind of exactly. they kind of fuck up the execution with that as well, but at least the character as it starts. Oh yeah, that episode was a nightmare. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, so that's what I would have changed is I would have worked on that if the central romance was worth yeah. everything. All of the sacrifice would have had weight, but as it was, it's, this is an episode where uncharacteristically Quark is a good guy. It was a little so, bit of weird tone for this. Yeah. Ep- so for, that was what, and not only, and the fault is, is up until this point, Quark is the best rendered character on the. The show mostly due to like the loving care of of iris Stephen bear which uh, unfortunate rhyme what but uh but i mean like like that he was clearly iris Stephen bear is like only gives a damn about one character and it shows and he was the character that's been sort of worked the most by the way iris Stephen bear had the least to do with this episode and hates it oh yeah but um well see i liked him see fuck him i like this one <laughs> <laughs> Michael Pillar uh, hated it too. So, uh, okay. but um, what, what what were uh, their reasons for hating it? Did they say that Quark? Yeah, Quark was Quark was weird. They don't believe that it was in you know that it was in character to Quark. And I have to say, I I, I don't like agreeing with Iris Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you guys want to? That that's a good segue into uh, what IMDb thinks of this episode. It's uh, 
It's got 555 votes. Where do you think that the the good fans of I know I'm probably wrong. I'm going to say 7.6. James? 7. Okay. Wow. It's a 7.1. Yeah. Boom. I knew I was probably I knew I was Yeah. I knew I was definitely high on that. <laughs> am I what is it? What am I high? On on a on a on a base <laughs> level. I think probably I think you I'm going to throw this to you. I think on a base level. Mhm. Like the episode works. Like it doesn't have scenes that are fucking crazy or stupid. Things yeah. move. And you get Garrick. Yes. And you get Garrick's storyline being enhanced. So like things are happening. So like it's not a bad episode. It's got a higher problem. Yeah, as an episode, yeah. I think it works pretty well as a standalone episode. It works less well when you view it in the context of Quark's character throughout like a season arc or Quark's character in the context of the entire show, I will concede it maybe works better because he does. I believe it's believable that he's a good guy because he loves this woman so much, but why exactly he loves her and why she loves him back is a little bit, you have to just do accept it, which in the context of the rest of the show, maybe it doesn't make as much sense. Next week we have a, we have like a big episode. We have like a, uh, this is the first time Klingons are really dealt with. Oh shit. Yeah. Dax episode. It's a big episode. And it's also considered, yeah, it's also considered one of the best Dax episodes in the whole show run. So it's Blood Oath. And I and it's got characters from the original series. So I have to go all back right. and do homework. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, all right, all right. That's what we're looking forward to. All right. All right. Well, that's it for this week. All right. Ready to beam out. Wow. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod. And on Tumblr at the rules of AcquisitionPodcast.tumblr.com. Inside of us we both know you belong with Deep Blue. You're part of his work the thing that keeps him going. If that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow but soon and for the rest of your life. We'll always have Paris. Where I'm going you can't follow. Mars Rover. I'm no good at being noble. But it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little semi-conscious AI user interfaces don't amount to a hill of data bits in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. Here's looking at you kid.